Hello and welcome to the Safe Food Podcast. I'm Dr. Aileen McGloin, Director of Marketing and Communications at Safe Food, the all-island agency promoting food safety and healthy eating. Safe Food is one of six North-South bodies born out of the Good Friday Agreement. So developing partnerships across the food and nutrition sector and with government agencies is a big part of our job. In nutrition, our role is to carry out research, develop educational tools and run public awareness campaigns. You may know us from our START campaign promoting healthy weights for children or our research revealing the real nutritional content of foods like energy drinks and protein snacks. We also run and sponsor conferences and events so that professionals and thought leaders can share their research and knowledge. In this nutrition podcast series, we will be hearing from leading experts on issues such as social prescribing, obesity, particularly in relation to children and food poverty, and community food initiatives. Joining us today is Joanna De Silva, Safe Foods expert on human health and nutrition, who talks about the work she does on food poverty and community food initiatives on the island of Ireland. And later, we'll hear from UK-based food poverty expert, Lindsay Graham, who talks about food insecurities in the UK. Hi, Joanna, and thanks for joining us. Thank you, Eileen. You've been working with us in the nutrition team at Safe Food for four years, and much of your work involves food poverty on the island of Ireland. Could you tell us a little bit about what this means? Yes, and the first thing I have to say is that I've been learning a lot about food poverty. It's a very complex concept. Um, I have a clinical background, so when I first uh, heard about food poverty, it was very much hunger and affordability. And um, of course, there is a link to, to poverty, there is a link to affordability, but it's a more complex issue. You have uh, many factors like economics, skills, can we actually cook a meal? Um, food poverty is, is about the ability to be able to afford a nutritious diet, a complete diet. And that's a diet that is going to meet your nutritional needs, that is going to, to keep you healthy, let's say. But at the same time, there are also social factors involved. So do you have, uh, you know, can you afford to have friends at home for a cup of tea, for example? Can you offer a biscuit when someone rings your, your bell and comes to visit? So a lot of the work that we do um, is, is around enhancing people's ability to deal with food around budgeting, around cooking, around, uh, around planning. Um, but we don't, we don't, of course, uh, forget that uh, poverty and, uh, and economics is, uh, is part of, uh, of the equation too. One of the other major public health issues of our time, of course, is obesity. Could you tell me a little bit about the link between food poverty and obesity, which isn't actually intuitive? Not at all, and it wasn't. It wasn't definitely for me a few years ago. So, first, you can look at the at, at the stats. Let's say in relation to food poverty in the island of Ireland. So, one we we could we could say that one in ten in the Republic of Ireland experience food poverty, and in Northern Ireland, we are still trying to to, to look at different ways to to measure food poverty. But we can say that seventeen percent of the population in Northern Ireland is at risk of experienced food poverty at, at some point. Um, St. Vincent de Paul, for example, released some numbers recently and out of their calls for, for help, three relate to, to food poverty. One in three. One in three. One in three related to food poverty. We know that we are sending children to, to school without, uh, without food. 
and 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 we know that there is a need definitely for for breakfast uh, clubs unfortunately um so research has shown us that obesity is has always been more prevalent in food insecure areas always and this is because typically low-income household families tend to have poorer diets and that will of course mean uh, that they have uh, higher levels of, uh, of excess weight, higher levels of, of, of overweight or obesity, which is going to increase their health risks and conditions like heart disease, cancer or, uh, or diabetes. So it's very important that you close that health inequality gap. and. Uh, I'm not going to say that that's the secret to solve obesity because just like food poverty is a very complex issue, you have genetics, you have hormonal, uh, hormonal issues behind it too, but it is paramount that we try to close that gap. Um, and research has shown us that although the number of children that, um, that have obesity or overweight um, have stabilized or even decreased slightly over the years, when you isolate the data in relation to more deprived areas, you can actually see that those vulnerable, group, vulnerable groups have higher rates of obesity. The, the, the rates are actually growing there? In uh, low-income areas. Earlier we chatted to food poverty expert Lindsay Graham, who explained the link between food poverty and obesity and experiences in the UK. We know that um, in areas of deprivation, there is higher incidence of childhood obesity, and that's there's a whole reason, raft of reasons around that. Societal, being the sort of main one as well, and also the proliferation of uh, fast food outlets near near areas of, of deprivation, which seem to do an awful lot, an awful lot better in those areas. So there's a whole raft of reasons why we see uh, um, an increase in childhood obesity. I think it's one in by the age of 11, uh, children who live in deprived areas are more likely to be obese than their peers who live in less um, um, deprived areas. That was from a piece of work from the Cambridge University. Is food poverty among children something that is increasing or decreasing? What's, what's the current situation? Oh, increasing, definitely. Definitely. I, I mean, I've been working around the UK um, looking at a children's food insecurity for about six years now. And when I first started looking at it, I found that um, some of the, the projects that supported communities were faith-based and they were, there was a relatively small number, but we've also seen an increase in, in food bank referrals uh, as well. We're seeing schools now setting up their own food banks. Um, so there is definitely, I think the teaching unions talk about it as well, I think 53% of teachers from the National Union of Teachers said that they saw children arriving to school hungry or they were concerned about what would happen to them at the end of the school day. So I, I definitely think in the last uh, six years I've seen a, a real increase and part of that increase I think is down to the rollout of universal credit. You're describing an increase in food poverty but also an increase in, in the, maybe the response to it which is quite bad. Yes, I think, um, I think civil society has done more than policy. I think we've seen, I've seen a lot more community projects springing up to try and support families and children in particular as well uh, you know who are who are experiencing food insecurity we did a year-long children's inquiry a future food inquiry which was a cross-party inquiry um, where we spoke to young people around the UK and asked them their thoughts on food insecurity and, and obesity was was one of the issues that they they, took, they spoke about there they, they spoke to us about planning of all things and about where there were fast food outlets near their schools or in, within their communities. Um, so young people are very aware 
of um, health inequalities and indeed they, they also have some very good suggestions about what we should be doing about it. One of the things that the young people told us was about their cash cards and the use of cash cards in the school. They get a certain amount on their cash cards, uh, so it's say £2.30, but the money wipes at the end of each day. So unlike their peers whose parents might load their cash cards with £15 at the beginning of the week, that money doesn't roll over for free school meals children. So they end up buying um, food. They either have to choose between food at the beginning of the day or lunchtime because they haven't got enough money that covers both, or they have to buy a bottle of water at a pound. And they thought that that was wrong because that, that meant that they could buy less food. So there was things like that that they spoke about. They spoke about home economics and not having excluding themselves from home economics because they didn't have the money to buy the ingredients. Um, so while we think that you know teaching kids to cook is one thing, but if we don't, they don't have the money to take part, then ex they exclude themselves from that. And then so they talked about all sorts of amazing things that we never we never even considered. And it's so obvious when you say it. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Were you told surprised by the kinds of things? Oh, definitely. Mm -hmm. um, it was actually some of the most harrowing stories that we got were from um, young people with who had no recourse to public funds who spoke about their, their parents not having um, enough money and not, you know, be, not being able, eligible for benefits. And of course, if you don't get any benefits, you can't get access to free school meals. So that was particularly harrowing, the, the way that families were coping um, with that, uh, and not very well. You know, the, the state wasn't doing a very good job on that. When you spoke earlier, you also mentioned the Children's Right to Food Charter. Yes. Um, could you explain a little bit more about that and how it came about? When we did the, the inquiry, I think one of the things that was really important for us was about what children thought about food insecurity and what they thought we should do about it. Um, so we, when we were doing the um, discussions with them, they, we said, well, what do you think will make a difference? What things would you say to government? needs to change. So they came up with a with a right to food charter and there was five things that they said. They wanted a healthy lunch guarantee where they wanted to improve access to, to good food. They wanted a healthy food minimum as well um, and that included allowances for families, so increasing the family income too. Um, they wanted a health food, um, a, a children's food watchdog, which I thought was amazing. They said, who's responsible for all this? You know, how are we going to make things better if nobody's being accountable for it? And I loved that idea. I thought, children's food, why have we not got one? It just com makes complete Fantastic. sense. So and none of the things that they suggested will happen unless we do have that, that watchdog. Uh, so we're, we're currently talking to central government about how we can make some of these wonderful charter suggestions happen. Uh, the other one was was health before profits. They talked about the big industry and how, how it influences uh, children's choices. Um, and they said that, you know, health comes before profit. Th this, these were their, their words. And also stop, stop the stigma, because children are stigmatised, whether it's because of their weight or whether they don't have the same trainers as somebody. You know, when they're going to the canteen, they get teased about it. Bullying because of being overweight as well. There's lots of issues that they spoke about. Though. But also they said, let's rename free school meals to school meal allowance. It makes complete sense to me. I don't know why we never thought of that before. Stop the sort of free element of it. So they came up with some great ideas, and, and the thing about is is their right to have their say in it. Um, you talked about some of the, the, the shorter term outcomes of food poverty there, the, the kind of stigma that children and young people experience. Are there any other um, 
impacts, whether short term or long term. We are seeing things like um, learning loss. So there's a, a disparity between the, the, the poorer children and the wealthier children that can be as much as two years by the time they finish school uh, through health inequalities. And that's again, that you know we're still looking at the impacts of diet. Uh, we know that uh, the, some of the choices that are available to young people, healthier food options are more expensive. Um, so the children tend to take the cheaper option that fills them up because they're so hungry. Um, one wee girl was talking to us about having to buy... She bought two sausage rolls instead of a salad because the sausage rolls were, were cheaper at her local you know, shop rather than the, the salad lunch at school. So that's what she showed because she knew that that would fill her up for longer. So calorie-dense foods the kids are choosing because they're hungry. Is this a problem that can be solved through policy? Um, or is it a combination of many actions that are required? Um, I, don't, I, I don't think policy alone um, can fix it, and that was one of the things that was brought up in the event, was that, well, we can have great policy, and indeed that's what the children told us, we've got all these wonderful policies, but none of them are working, thanks very much, what are you going to do about it? So um, I think it, it needs a whole systems approach, again, that was, that was talked about, uh, and it needs to be cross-sectoral, it needs to be multi-agency if we're going to tackle it, people need to be trained um, in the right kind of language to talk about being overweight or malnutrition, or um, parents need to be engaged in it, communities need to be engaged in it, uh, planning needs to be engaged in it, housing needs to be engaged in it, so it has to be a whole system, whole systems and approach. Having good policy and legislation will help because um, it's got to be, the bottom needs to know what the top's doing and the top needs to know what the bottom's doing. There was one thing that you mentioned there and that was the, the that this is a difficult issue for, let's say, a health professional or, or someone working in care to raise, so whether it's food poverty or indeed childhood obesity. Um, would you have any advice that you would give to health professionals or any professionals working in this area? Work within your own comfort. Uh, uh, parameters is what I would say as well. Look at what training is out there, so equip yourself with the knowledge that you need and the most up-to-date knowledge that you need to be able to put a good case to your the parents or children that you're working with as to why they might want to change or what might need to change and engage with them at a level that, that they want to and ask the young people about what they're going to be comfortable with when they're making these lifestyle changes. Um, it's not going to it's not going to um, change overnight. You know, we're, it's going to take a decade to reverse the probably more to reverse the situation that we're in now. Um, but health professionals need to be well equipped, well trained. They need to feel comfortable with what they're talking about um, and knowledgeable. They need to be knowledgeable, and they themselves need to be fit and healthy. So there's a bit about that too. Self care. Lindsay, thank you so much for joining us today. That was fascinating. Joanna, we've heard about how children's ex children experience food poverty in the UK. Could you tell me a little bit about how children experience it here on the island of Ireland? I would say it's pretty much the same and, uh, and you can look at numbers, but I think what we can't forget is that it's sad, it's very unsettling and it's very unfair that a child actually has to experience that, to, to go through that. It's unfair for an adult, let alone a child. Um, it is a reality. Uh, it's more prevalent in, uh, in families that are low income. I'll give you an example. Focus Ireland launched a report in 2017 uh, and 
we were lucky enough to have one uh, one of the researchers speaking at uh, at one of our food poverty events in the past, and they looked at families where parents were actually employed, but uh, they were renting, and for one reason or the other, they uh, they were uh, they, they had to to look for another house. They couldn't, and they ended up in emergency accommodation. So you're talking about a couple that actually can afford food, but they can't cook. Um, they have their children eating on the same uh, area where they sleep. They have access sometimes to a kettle, not always. Um, they can't really have breakfast in the hotel where they are staying because they may need to get two or three buses to get the children to school. And, and that's a good example of, yes, they can afford, they can afford food, but they don't have the, the facilities to cook. Lack of skills is another one. Um, in terms of children experiencing food insecurity, another good example is uh, our research uh, around the cost of a healthy food basket. And I'll talk about Northern Ireland here. Um, when our researchers got back to us with the data, we realized that there was money for, uh, for school lunch there that they wanted us to include on the budget. And of course, we questioned it because if you're talking about families that uh, depend on state benefits or uh, um, are earning the minimum wage, those children would qualify for free school lunches. And we asked them, why are you including a lunch, a money lunch, if, if your child can get it for free at school? The child doesn't want to be stigmatized at school. They don't want to be the ones that get the, the handout lunch. They want to bring lunch to school like any other child. So those are two very good examples of how children uh, get to experience food poverty, unfortunately. We also heard Lindsay speaking about the UK Children's Right to Food Charter. Is there anything we can learn here on the island of Ireland from that? I think we need to learn how to listen to the child's voice and it's something that we haven't been doing for, for, for years. We, we feel that uh, we, uh, we, we can do the research, we can present the findings and that somehow we know what's best for our children. And I think what the, what the food charters showed is they know their challenges, they know how they feel and, and how they experience things and they want to be involved uh, when when making decisions that will potentially impact their future and I think that's a very valid learning I know that um, children's ombudsman was doing some research to in relation to including uh, uh, the children's views in uh, in future policy for example and I think it's something that we should take on board you mentioned policy there Lindsay also talked about policy and what approach do you think we need to take here on the island of Ireland to tackle food uh, poverty? I think we need to look at international evidence, um, other countries that were facing similar challenges as we do here, what is working in, the, in those countries, what's not working so we don't even try it. Um, research, funding research, finding the right questions to, to ask. It's not just about funding the research, it's finding the right topics to, to investigate. Um, and safe food has been quite good, I have to say, in terms of uh, 
partnering with the, with the right stakeholders, looking at measuring food poverty. Um, we co-chair a food poverty network with partners both in Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland. We keep food on the agenda. We bring charities, we bring policy makers, we, be, we bring healthcare colleagues together to debate food poverty. We promote shared learning. That's very important too. We get involved in many pieces like uh, um, minimum nutritional standards for for school meals. That's a very important piece. It's also it has also uh, enhanced the the new pilot that the Department of Social Protection is rolling out in relation to uh, hot meals for uh, for children in primary school, for example. And that's a shared learning that that. that that we brought from Northern Ireland to the Republic of Ireland. Um, in Northern Ireland, we are piloting new models in, uh, in communities uh, around social supermarkets, trying to move from food banks from social supermarkets, for example. We know that food banks are needed, unfortunately. Uh, they are there for an, an emergency situation, but they shouldn't be, uh, they shouldn't be a, a long-term solution. So we have this, those learnings too. I think that in, interdepartmental co cooperation is is very important too. And uh, again, going back to the hot school uh, meals pilot, you have Department of Social Protection working with Department of Health, working with Department of Education and uh, and uh, Children and Youth Affairs. I think that's very powerful to have to have us all singing from uh, from the same uh, from the same book. I think our messages need to be consistent and and strong. Joanna, could you tell us a little bit more about the community food initiatives? So the Community Food Initiatives is a program that Safe Food has been funding since 2010. Um, the current program uh, runs from 2019 to the end of 2021. We have uh, nine leaders in the Republic of Ireland and five in Northern Ireland. Um, we uh, work very, very closely with the healthcare professionals on the ground. Um, we have local leaders for these initiatives. Um, and, uh, uh, and they are run by local development companies. So we know that we are targeting the right audience uh, and we know that we have the right partners. And what we want is for people to learn the basic skills around food. So you're talking about planning, you're talking about shopping, you're talking about budgeting, you're talking about cooking, you're of course talking also about food safety and, uh, and reducing food waste, for example. Uh, these are usually very, very practical and aimed at parents of children under the age of 12. Many thanks to Joanna De Silva and Lindsay Graham for sharing their experience and valuable insight. That's all from this episode in our nutrition series. If you would like further information on community food initiatives or any aspect of healthy eating, do get in touch with us. Search Safe Food or look us up on social media. You'll know us by our purple tick. You can link in with our Food Poverty Network and All Island Obesity Action Forum, or to keep up with our latest reports and research, check out LinkedIn. And remember to follow the Safe Food podcast series on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Until the next time then, goodbye.